Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, we begin a new series with author and conference speaker Micah Van Hus, looking at the mysteries that we find on the margins of society. All this month, Southwest Radio Ministries and Watchmen on the Wall are celebrating 90 years of proclaiming the truth that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Yesterday was a historic day for SWRC. We announced the single largest gift the ministry has ever received. And as an added bonus, you can help double that gift. Meeting the mission is our special effort to match the $1 million gift. So that means when you give to Southwest Radio Ministries, your gift will be matched. $25 becomes $50. $50 becomes $100. You will double your impact and ensure that Watchmen on the Wall and all of our ministries will be able to bring clarity to the chaos for many years to come. Would you consider giving $90 in recognition of our 90th anniversary? Like all gifts given at this time, your support will be doubled and will go toward the match. 1-800-652-1144. That's the number to call and show your support for SWRC. You can also be part of the match by giving on our website, swrc.com. Now, here's our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino, and today's guest, Micah Van Hus, to discuss scriptural mysteries, some of which have persisted for thousands of years. For this show and the next, we're going to be talking about the book, The Earth As It Was. It's a fascinating book. It's a fascinating subject. The author, Micah Van Hus, is with us. Now, Micah served our country in the Marines, and he is a graduate of Pensacola Christian College. He is certainly an important part of the Southwest Radio Church team. Micah, so great to have you on the show. It's good to be here, Larry. Thank you very much for having me. Well, how do you intertwine the Bible with all of these worldly mysteries, and why is this important? Why write a book about it? It's a very important question. First of all, you know, the book covers my speculation about how the I believe that the earth was before the flood of Noah. I believe that the Bible should be every human's foundation for life. The Bible is truth. I was saved at the age of seven, but it wasn't until about the age of 20 that I read my Bible from cover to cover, and I finally got a real relationship with Jesus Christ. And that was at Pensacola Christian College, and after reading the Bible, I realized that just because a Christian says something, that does not mean that's what Christ said. Just because a preacher <laughs> says something, that does not mean that's Amen. what Christ says. So I learned at about 20 years old that the Bible needs to be my foundation for everything in life. And so mm. in Marginal Mysteries, I speculate about everything, but never in contradiction to the Word of God. There are many Christians today who excuse the mysteries of Scripture as allegory. I believe that Scripture is a whole lot more literal than some like to believe. Now, the question of why is it important to study this stuff, well, Jesus says to be ready for his return, that his return comes as a thief in the night, so we need to know the signs of the times. Jesus also says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. So how can we be ready for the return of Jesus if we don't know what it was like in the days of Noah. So I think it's an important topic to study, and I had a great time studying and writing the book. 
Well, what attracted you to study God's mysteries? We've spoken before, and it was kind of, um, well, it was an attraction. How did the Lord work in your heart and in your life? So I grew up um, in Baptist churches, and I grew up being taught about Noah and the flood. And I was always taught that God chose Noah to survive the flood because Noah was a righteous man. And about 20 years ago, my brother pointed out to me that in the King James that that is not exactly what's going on. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, God says that Noah was perfect in his generations. And so if you read about eight verses earlier and four verses earlier where it talks about the giants, it talks about the angels who came and slept with women and had giant offspring. And then after that, four verses later, it says Noah was perfect in his generations. Yes, Noah was a righteous man. Genesis chapter 6 says that. But God chose Noah because his bloodline had not been tainted with that of the watchers. And so when I discovered that, that blew my mind. And for the last 20 years, ever since I I learned that, I've been studying as much as I can about it. And I've been fascinated with all the mysteries of the Bible and the universe. The mysteries of the Nephilim and the watchers is really what set it off 20 years ago. And my brother Clayton showed that to me. And it's just been an awesome study ever since. Well, that phrase, perfect in his generations, just opened a whole new area of, of study, especially with regard to Genesis 6-4, the giants, and a lot of other issues that are sometimes hotly contested. And if you believe in Nephilim, supposedly you're a heretic. I don't believe so. And I know something about what you believe in the Nephilim, and you're not a heretic, but that he was perfect in his generations. That is really an eye-opener, and I really appreciate you uh, mentioning that. But you started with ancient cities. What mysteries about ancient cities and their gods needed to be shared or revealed? Why is that so important? So Ancient Cities was my first book. Ancient Cities and the Gods Who Built Them centers on the idea that the cities, all our ancient wonders and monuments, many of them, that they were built by Nephilim using technology taught to humankind by the Nephilim's fathers, the Watchers. We lack the technology today to cut and place many of the stones used in constructing some of these sites around the world. And so in ancient cities, we look at a lot of the old cities, Eridu, Rome, all kinds of cities that have all kinds of mysteries and are intertwined with mythology, Atlantis. We study the similarities between those stories and the Bible. For instance, the city of Atlantis, a fascinating story. Most people will say that Atlantis was a myth, is a myth. Most people said that the city of Troy was a myth until in 1871, I believe, we found the city of Troy. The city of Troy and the city of Atlantis are both mentioned by Plato, and so they said Troy was a myth. In the story of Atlantis, the very first thing that the Critias reads, as Plato writes it, is, in the time of old, the gods divided the world among themselves. And then, very soon after that, it says that the gods placed a pillar of laws in the center of Atlantis. And every few years, the gods would gather and judge each other based on what was written on the pillar of laws. Now, what's fascinating about that is the most, probably the most mysterious chapter in Scripture is Psalm chapter 82. This is the heavenly council of Elohim, where Elohim is sitting among the gods in heaven, and he is judging among the gods. And from my interpretation of Psalm 82, it's very easy to read. Anybody can go read it. It's eight verses long. You can read it, and it says, God is judging among the gods. And what's going on is, I believe, that Elohim is telling them that they're treating the inhabitants of the earth poorly and that they better straighten up, or he will cast them to the earth like one of the princes. Uh, I believe it's verse 6. It says, I have said, ye are gods. So this is not a council of men. This is a council of gods in heaven. 
And then verse 7 or 8, uh, verse 7 right after that, he says, I will cast you to the earth like one of the princes. So it's a fascinating piece of scripture. Well, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 9 is where God chooses Israel as his chosen people. We always hear about that. Well, verse 8 is right after the Tower of Babel, and God divides the world into roughly 70 nations. And from my interpretation, I believe that he gives these 70 nations to the angels of God, the Bnei Elohim, to rule over. This is what we're seeing in Daniel chapter 10 when there's a prince of Persia, a prince of Greece. Michael in Daniel chapter 12 is the prince of Israel. Just a fascinating topic. So ancient cities and the gods who built them, I believe, is about the rulers of the nations that God placed over the nations, the angelic rulers. All of this is very, very exciting. So I want to ask you, what has excited you most about research and writing the earth as it was? Are there any wow moments where you just said, wow, (laughs) tell us about that? My first book, Ancient Cities, was kind of getting my feet wet, and I really didn't want to get my feet wet on my most passionate topic, which is the Watchers and the Nephilim, though I do talk about that plenty in Ancient Cities. The Earth as it was focuses on how I believe the Earth was before the flood of Noah, and where to start on that. I mean, from dinosaurs to the firmament, the firmament would be a layer of ice in the air. A layer of water or ice would stop UV rays from causing cancerous mutations in humans, thus enabling humans to live into the 900s, as they did before the flood. It would cause lizards to grow to be giants, which we know as dinosaurs, all kinds of awesome things. But when we talk about a wow moment in writing the earth as it was, was when in the book of Enoch, the watchers descended. This is Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, but the book of Enoch elaborates more on what's going on. The watchers descended, took human women, and had offspring with them in the days of Jared. Jared is the fifth from Adam. This happened the fifth generation after creation. And the wow moment was when I was studying about the angels, the princes of the nations. In the New Testament, we read about the princes of the powers of the air. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. This is referring to these princes of the nations, which I believe were set up in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8. As a side note, We fight against different spiritual entities. Demons are not the most powerful spiritual entities that we face. Demons are the spirits of the Nephilim, whose bodies died, most of them at the flood, but some after. They are the spirits that roam the earth of the Nephilim because there's no place for them in heaven, according to the book of Enoch. Now, more powerful than demons are the princes of the air. These are fallen angels. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. Jesus came to the earth for three reasons. The one that we talk about the most and the one I'm most thankful for is salvation from our sins. But Jesus also came to reverse the curse at Babel. God divides the world into 70 nations at Babel, and you'll notice in Jesus that he sends out 70 disciples into the world, and everyone in the world hears them speak in his own language. It's a reversal of the Tower of Babel. But the third reason that Jesus came was to defeat these princes of the power of the air, and I don't have the scripture off the top of my head. I think it's First Thessalonians, and there's another one where it says that Jesus defeated the powers of the air and humbled them. So, yeah, the wow moment was these princes of the power of the air realizing that there's a difference between demons and fallen angels. It interested me so much that I decided that my fourth book will be Angels Eternal, where I talk about angels and the princes of the nations. If this has picked your interest, I would recommend reading Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10 talks about where Daniel prays to God, but he doesn't hear anything. And 21 days later, 
an angel, likely Gabriel, an angel comes to Daniel and says, I'm sorry, I was delayed. I was coming to answer your prayer, but I was delayed by the prince of Persia. And I fought with him for 21 days until Michael, the archangel, came and took my place, and then I was able to come to you. But I got to leave soon because the prince of Greece is coming, so I've got to go fight him. Fascinating chapter. That's Daniel chapter 10. Uh, it continues a little bit in Daniel 11 and 12, and Daniel 12 talks about Michael the archangel a little bit. So yeah, that was a wow moment. And I just had, So the book I'm writing right now, I've already been writing some this morning, is Secret Societies. I've been writing about the Knights Templar and the Order of Christ for the last week or two. After this book is done, Secret Societies, my next book will be Angels Eternal. Well, what do you hope people, readers, will take away from reading the earth as it was? Well, I hope that people will see that God's word is to be trusted. I have heard Christians say that they don't believe in fairy tales like Noah's Flood. Well, I suggest that folks who call themselves Christians know the words of Christ, because Christ himself says that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of man, for they were eating and drinking and marrying until the floodwaters came. So to say that you don't believe in fairy tales like Noah's Flood either shows that you're ignorant of what Christ's words are or you don't believe Christ himself. Also, people will like to use evolution, uh, say that, oh, well, God used evolution to create the world. Well, first of all, Exodus chapter 20, verse 11 says that God made the world in six days. So I believe that the earth was made in six days because God says it was, other than the story in Genesis chapter 1. But also, on day 7, Adam did not rest for a thousand years. So I do believe in a six-day creation. There's a time gap in the Bible between Genesis 1, 1 and 2a, and then to be, but it does not, in my opinion, does not allow for evolution. I believe that the earth, well, Genesis 1 says the earth was an orb of water. An orb of water was there, and then God came to the orb of water and started to create at it. So does Elohim have multiple orbs of water out in the universe waiting to be created? Maybe. I do believe that Elohim created that orb of water in the past before creation. But anyway, that that time gap between Genesis 1 2A and 2B does not allow for evolution. The earth was only water. So I just hope that people can see that the Bible is true. Now, there are a couple of other hard topics, uh, hard questions, which I'm not afraid of any question. I will entertain all questions. Marginal mysteries, that's what we do. Hard questions would be, well, did dinosaurs and man coexist? Well, if you believe the Bible, on day six, God created the land animals and he created man. So the dinosaurs and mankind were created at the same time. Now, in the earth as it was, we do talk uh, quite a bit about the dinosaurs, and I believe, honestly, I believe there are dinosaurs alive today. That's what alligators are. Alligators are dinosaurs. Evolutionists, people who will say, oh, no, that their limbs go out this way and this, that, and the other, but it's all just made up. Now, scientists do agree that alligators are older than the dinosaurs. Alligators were here before the dinosaurs. Alligators were here while the dinosaurs were here. Well, if that is true, then how come the comet that quote-unquote killed the dinosaurs didn't kill the alligators? So there's evidence of all kinds of large lizards into the 1900s. Chronologically, in 1947 was the last time the Buru was seen in the Himalayan mountains, a giant hippopotamus-type body with a snake neck and a snake head and a long tail. Multiple tribes in the Himalayan mountains uh, talk about the Buru, who was seen less than 100 years ago. All kinds of sightings of uh, the Tombstone Thunderbird pterodactyls in the southwest United States. All kinds of stories. We go into all those fascinating stories about the dinosaurs. One other hard question is, at the end of Genesis chapter 1, God makes every green herb for man and the animals to eat. Well, how do T-Rexes and sharks 
fit into a world where God created plants for everything to eat? Well, I don't know the answer, but there are three locations in Scripture that I believe could have changed T-Rexes into meat-eaters, carnivores, or sharks. One is the fall of man. Uh, We have thorns starting to grow on plants, which was not before, so that could have been a point of mutation. Also, when Noah steps off the ark and God has his covenant with mankind, that's the moment that God says man can now eat meat, because when you eat red meat, a little bit of the iron stays in your body from the meat, and since we only live to be 120 years old, that's fine. But if we live to be 900 like Adam and Noah and Methuselah, that iron would actually kill us. So God knew what he was doing when he said man cannot eat meat before the flood. After the flood, God says man can eat meat, and the animals will now fear man. That could have been a point where some of the animals became carnivores. I'm not sure. Another fascinating theory, which I don't ascribe to, but I'm keeping an open mind on it, is that the Nephilim corrupted uh, the I know that the Nephilim corrupted the animals. Enoch says that they sinned against them in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 6 says that the animals, God repented that he had made them. They had become corrupt. So I, I do believe that the Nephilim were mixing the DNA of animals, humans and animals. But also sharks, T-Rexes, meat eaters could have been mutations from the Nephilim modifying DNA. Now, God tells Noah to bring clean and unclean animals onto the ark. Well, Levitical law is not for thousands of years later what we know as clean and unclean animals. So I don't think Levitical law necessarily applies to God telling Noah to bring clean and unclean animals on the ark. Were unclean animals corrupted animals from the Nephilim? I don't know, but it's a fascinating topic. So hope I answered your question on that. (laughs) Right. Well, friends, we're visiting with Micah Van Hush and talking about marginal mysteries. We're offering his book, The Earth As It Was. Our toll-free number is one 800 652-1144. Just give our operators a call and ask for the book, The Earth As It Was. Now, Micah, let's get into the book, The Earth As It Was. Did God create the earth in six literal days? Yes, sir. I, I do believe he did. Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, God says that he did. And, of course, Adam didn't rest for a thousand years on day seven. So how did God create the earth? Genesis chapter 1 says that God spoke it. And it happened. And this leads us into the power of God's voice and his ability to create with it. One of the psalms poetically says that God formed the mountains with his hands. Now, that's that's poetic. In Genesis chapter 1, God speaks and things come to existence. Some folks say, some scientists will say that if you break down our atoms even smaller than the electrons and the neutrons, if you break down everything to as small as you can get it, everything in the universe is made up of sound waves. Now, that's fascinating because God creates with his voice in Genesis chapter 1. Also, sound does not travel through space. Gravity travels through space, but sound does not. And so if you were to speak a planet into existence, space is the perfect medium. Just like when you wash dishes, you do it in a sink, so the water stays in the sink. The power of God's voice and his ability to create with it, fascinating topic. Multiple times in Scripture, God's voice is spoken of as fire, uh, when people speak with the power of God, when they spoke, uh, the 70 disciples spoke and everyone heard in his own language, it appeared as cloven tongues of fire. I think really what what the Bible's talking about when it says he speaks as fire is seeing the sound waves coming out of either God's mouth or someone with the power of God speaking. So it appears the vibrations, you can actually see it looks a little bit like fire. So it's a fascinating topic, but God created with his voice. Well, why did God place the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden? What was the purpose of that? This is a a fascinating question. It's one of the most important questions I think we as humans can ask and answer. 
And I think that God placed a tree in his perfect creation in order to give man free will. I think he put it there so that Adam and Eve had a choice to do right or to do wrong. God could have created us as autonomous robots uh, to do exactly what his plan was uh, without any choice. But I do believe that he put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden to give mankind a choice. Now, sidestepping from that a little bit is the idea of humans not knowing good from evil, but now we do. If you look at all the other animals on the planet, they do not know good and evil. Now, a dog, as you train a dog, a dog understands reward from consequence. A dog does not understand that if he eats a baby, that's evil. He understands he's going to get a beating for it. So dogs understand and animals understand reward from consequence, but we as humans, we have a conscience. We have a moral code. Morality is not fluid. Morality is set in the Bible, in God's Word. What is sin and what is not sin does not change based on the culture. When Jesus says something is a sin in the Bible, it continues to be sin for all of eternity. Now, some folks will say that, well, Jesus is okay with this sin or Jesus is okay with that sin. Guess what? You can call him Jesus all you want, but if he is okay with any sin, he is not Jesus. He is an idol. You can call him Jesus all you want, but you're worshiping an idol. What is sin and what is not sin has not changed with what's popular in today's culture. Well, what do you think happened to the Garden of Eden? I mean, where where is it? Is it just got blasted, dropped off the earth, or what? Obviously, I don't know, but I will speculate that the Garden of Eden possibly is in the spiritual realm. It was possibly taken from the physical realm. I don't know that the Garden of Eden was necessarily fully in the physical realm. There's a number of places in Scripture that points to the idea that the Garden of Eden was more than just a physical realm, first of all. When God creates Adam, he does not create Adam in the garden. It says he takes the man whom he had made and he placed him eastward in the garden. So when it says the Garden of Eden was in the east, what does that mean was to the west? Did that mean something or was the author of Genesis, maybe Moses, was the author of Genesis merely speaking from his physical location when he wrote the book? We don't know, but it does say the Garden of Eden was in the east on the holy mountain of God and God placed Adam uh, in there. Now, at the fall, was it taken into the spiritual realm? At the flood, was it taken into the spiritual realm? Or is the Garden of Eden still here on this planet? Now, four rivers flowed out of the Garden of Eden, the Tigris, Euphrates, the other two, and then the Gishon, I think is what it's called, Pishon. But one is Euphrates, and I don't think that the Euphrates River we have today is the exact same Euphrates River that was before the flood, with Pangaea breaking up and all the catastrophe that happened on the earth. I think that Noah and his kids, when they stepped off and they found a mighty river, they said, well, this is what we're going to call the Euphrates because they had known the Euphrates. But I think the earth had totally changed. So I don't think that we can rely on today's Tigris and Euphrates to point to uh, southern Turkey in the mountains there as where the Garden of Eden is. Could be, but I think the earth has totally changed after the flood. Is the Garden of Eden, there, there's a few theories and a few things that would lead to the idea. First of all, is it, is it in the Bermuda Triangle? Are the angels guarding it? and the flaming sword guarding it, the things that happen whenever boats and planes go into the Bermuda Triangle. Is the Garden of Eden under the ice in Antarctica? Before the flood, the earth was Pangaea, one giant landmass, I believe. And who knows where the Garden of Eden could have broken off and floated to, just like the continents floated apart. Is it at the North Pole? Mercator is famous for uh, drawing maps in a flat manner so that sailors can sail across the world back in the 1500s. Mercator drew the first known map of the Arctic at the very top of the Earth. And at the Arctic, he drew 
a magnetic mountain out of which four rivers flowed. Is that the Gardmin? It's a fascinating map to look at. It's in the book. But of course, if you go on Google Earth today, there's nothing but water and ice. Is that a cover-up? Or it was Mercator, did he know what he was drawing? Fascinating theories on where the, the garden could be. I speculate along the lines that it is now in the spiritual realm, that it was taken from the physical realm, or that it wasn't fully in the physical realm to begin with. First of all, the tree of life is in the Garden of Eden. And in the future, in our future, in Revelation 21 and 22, I think, the tree of life is in paradise. A river flows under it and 12 different types of fruit grow on the tree of life. So that kind of connects to the idea of the Garden of Eden being in a spiritual manner. Maybe paradise is the Garden of Eden moved into the spiritual realm. Also in the millennial kingdom, Mount Zion, the holy mountain of God, will descend onto the earth. Is that Eden coming back to the earth for the millennial kingdom? I don't know. Fascinating stuff to think about. Micah, who were the watchers? The watchers were angels that God had placed to around the earth to watch it. I do believe that the angels on the earth were created at creation. It's either the first verse of Genesis 2, I think it's the first verse of Genesis 2, the holy hosts of heaven were created and then they came together for the Sabbath. So that doesn't mean that there's not other angels other places in heaven or on another planet that Elohim has created. I do think that there's more angels than just the angels that God created for the earth. So the watchers were the angels that God placed around the earth to watch his creation. Now, uh, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, the sons of God, these are the watchers, B'nai Ha'elohim in the Hebrew, saw daughters, that daughters were beautiful, and the daughters of men were beautiful, and they came unto them and took them wives, all of which they chose, and they had offspring that were giants in the antediluvian world. And so we learn about that in Genesis, but the book of Enoch really expounds on what the watchers were doing, their names, according to the book of Enoch, it wasn't Satan in the Garden of Eden that tempted Eve, but an angel called Gadriel. There are 200 watchers that descended on Mount Hermon, led by Shemyaza, and they took wives, but they also taught all kinds of forbidden knowledge to mankind. From herbalism, alchemy, weapons, armor, makeup, abortion, astronomy, astrology, all kinds of forbidden knowledge the watchers taught to mankind. We can back this up in Scripture. I think it's Revelation 21:17, where a man is measuring heaven, and he measures it according to the cubit, which is the measure of a man, the, that is the measure of an angel. That's what Revelation 21:17, I think it is, says. Well, that tells us in Revelation that the angels actually taught the cubit to mankind. The cubit was the ancient unit of measurement from the tip of the middle finger to the elbow. It's backed up a little bit in Scripture, and there's all kinds of locations in Scripture, specifically in the book of Peter and the book of Jude, that back up what the book of Enoch is talking about in the story of the Watchers. Wow, we've had a, a wonderful discussion, and we're looking forward to having you back on our next show. Thank you so much for being on this show. It's been wonderful. Dr. Spargimino, thank you so much for having me, sir. The Marginal Mysteries Collection is available for you today. Books and DVDs on the ancient cities and the gods who built them, the brand new book, The Earth As It Was, and the book answering questions about Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, UFOs, and a little bit of everything else, entitled Marginal Mysteries. Order these outstanding resources today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order at our website, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Tomorrow on the program, Micah Van Hus will return with more information and insight 
on the scriptural mysteries. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchmen on the Wall podcast. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and has been supported for over 90 years by faithful listeners just like you. Please visit our website, swrc.com. That's swrc.com.